At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you've been with us at Wildwood the last number of weeks, you know that we've been walking through a sermon series called The Wise of Worship. Certainly, worship is bigger than Sunday morning. Worship is all of us responding to all that God is with all that we are. That's what worship is all about. So that takes place outside of Sunday morning. But in a special way, on Sunday mornings as we gather, we worship Christ in very particular ways. We, we gather together at 8.30 and 9.45 and 11 o'clock. We sing songs. We have baptism regularly as a part of our times of worship. We celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion together. We spend time in prayer. We have offerings and sermons. Why do we do all of these things? What's their point? What's their purpose? Well, that's what we are investigating in this series. And today we're going to be in part four of that series as we talk about why we celebrate communion. And we're not just going to talk about it. At the end of our time of worship today, we'll have a chance to celebrate communion together. But why will we do that? What are we, what are we celebrating when we celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper? We're going to, to see that this morning. Now, I was thinking about communion uh, in preparation for today, and I was thinking about the fellowship, the special moments of fellowship that happen around food. You know, when you meet someone new, you can only go so far passing them in the hallway. If you really want to get to know them, you'll invite them to breakfast or lunch or dinner or maybe a cup of coffee. That's how we really begin to deepen the relationship. There's a depth of relationship that happens over food that doesn't really happen in other ways. Another example of this, my wife recently had a birthday. And on her birthday, uh, Josh and I took her out to celebrate her birthday. I even wore a tie believe it or not. We took her out to celebrate. That, that was superior than just us sending an email. Dear Kimberly, hey mom, happy birthday, send. There was actually a better way to do that. And it was for us to gather together over a meal and to, to celebrate the, the, the closeness and fellowship that we have together as a family. And we're aware of this at the holidays. When it's, it's holiday time, we want to get together with our family, with our loved ones for meals, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas or, or Easter. We enjoy that special fellowship. It beats a Zoom gathering. And if our family is too far to be together with, we often will gather with friends who are like family as we celebrate those moments together. This is what we do. There's a special intimacy that comes around food together. Now, I say all of that because... When we think about communion, we're experiencing a moment where the Lord has invited us into table fellowship with him. A number of other religions in the world have a concept where people, as an act of worship, make a meal for their God, and they leave it at some pagan altar that it ultimately never gets eaten. But in Christianity, it's not us preparing a meal for God— it's God inviting us to his table where he has prepared a meal for us in remembrance of what he has done for us. It's an expression of, his, of his, the fellowship that we have together with him. And so communion is a wonderful gift reminding us of the intimacy we have with God because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. 
And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to investigate what the Scripture teaches about communion so that we might be reminded why we celebrate it and why we celebrate it the way that we do. Now, we're going to do this by looking at Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20, one of the gospel accounts, the historical accounts of Jesus setting up the communion meal for what we are remembering. We'll look primarily at these verses, but we'll also bounce to a few other places in the New Testament. So, I want to begin by reading Luke 22, verses 14 through 20, and then after reading it, I'll back up and make a couple of observations before we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Luke 22, beginning in verse 14, says this, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, friends, in these verses, I want us to see a couple of things about communion before we celebrate it together. So what do we need to see? The first thing I want us to see is this. I want us to see that in communion, we remember Christ. We remember Christ in communion. Now, we saw this throughout Luke 22, but it's helpful for us to remember the setting of Luke 22. Luke 22 is at the end of Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel begins with Jesus' birth, and it ends with his crucifixion and resurrection. When we get to chapter 22, we are at the very end of Jesus' earthly life. He had already lived his 30-plus years. He had already completed the majority of things in his public ministry, including the working of miracles, the preaching of sermons, and he's getting ready to go to the cross. So the, the timing of this is at the very end of his public ministry. And so in Luke 22, when it says the hour came, part of what is being referenced there is the hour came for the end of Jesus' earthly life and ministry, the hour that would ultimately lead to his suffering. Jesus understood that when he went to Jerusalem, he was going to offer his life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. He knew what was coming, and so the hour had come, and Jesus was getting ready to suffer. Knowing the weight and the gravity of that moment, it says that he earnestly desired it. That's, that's Hebrew idiom for he was very emotional about this. This was an emotional week in Jesus' life. He was not flat effect. He gathers with his disciples at the end of his earthly life to celebrate a final meal together. And he understood that there was going to be a gap before he would celebrate this holiday meal together with his followers again. The way that he was getting ready to eat this meal with the disciples, it would be all the way to the end of the age before he would eat a meal like that with them again. He says, I will not eat of this again. I will not eat this Passover meal with you again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Speaking about when he returns and establishes his kingdom on the earth. That's 2,000 years and counting. No wonder Jesus was emotional. He had spent Three years of moments, three years of meals, three years of celebrating the holidays with his followers, 
And he knew this was the last one for a long, long time. And he knew that he was getting ready to go to the cross. And so for those reasons, Jesus was, was emotional in this moment, understandably emotional. Now, when we think of the context, we need to think not just of the fact that this was the end of Jesus' public ministry, but we also need to notice that they were celebrating the Passover together. When it says that they, the time had come, the hour had come, it was also saying it was time to eat. It was time to eat the Passover meal together. There was an annual celebration of the Passover that God had established for his people. And that celebration went all the way back to the time of the Exodus, when God delivered his people, Israel, out of Egypt and their bondage there into the promised land. And the way that he did that was through a number of plagues that he brought upon Egypt. And ultimately, uh, there was a, a final plague, which was the killing of the firstborn. And it was the firstborn in all of Egypt. But because of the people of Israel listening to God and marking their doors with the blood of a lamb, their children were spared while Egypt suffered the consequences. And after that time of God passing over the people of Israel and saving them and leading them into the wilderness. God said, from this point on, you will celebrate a meal annually, remembering what I have done for you here. And so they came and Jesus was excited to celebrate this Passover meal with his disciples. Now at the Passover meal, there were a number of elements on the table that were symbolic. When they experienced the Passover together, there were, there were bitter herbs to remind the people of the difficulty of their life back in Egypt. There was salt water to remind them of the tears that were shed by their ancestors when they were in bondage. There was lamb's meat that was eaten and reminding them that there was once a lamb that was slain where the, the, the doors posts were marked by the blood of the lamb so that they might be saved. There was unleavened bread that they ate that was a reminder of the fact that they had to leave so quickly. They didn't have time to let the bread rise. They had to leave so quickly from Egypt. And there were various cups of wine that they would drink, four cups on the table. There were various toasts of thankfulness to God for what he had done and the deliverance that he had brought. So every year, the, the, the people of Israel would celebrate the Passover together. So Jesus gathers when the time had come to celebrate one final Passover meal with his disciples. And as he gathers with them in this moment, he, he takes the cup and he takes the bread, two elements that were already on the table, that were a part of every Passover celebration. And Jesus says, from now on, I'm going to infuse these two parts of this meal with new meaning. No longer, my followers, Jesus says, when you eat this bread and drink this cup, will you think back to Egypt in the Exodus but Jesus says, from now on, when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will remember the exodus, not from a country, but the exodus from the consequences of sin that I am providing not only for you, but for all who believe in my name. This is what is happening in this moment. Jesus is taking these elements and he is infusing them with new meaning. And so we have an old meal and we have new meaning. So what did he do? Well, he takes the bread. The bread had been a symbol of how quickly they had had to leave Egypt. And he takes this bread and he says, from now on, when you eat this bread, I don't want you to remember leaving Egypt, but I want you to think about my body, Jesus said, that is getting ready. At this point, it's yet future. 
It was going to be the next day that he went to the cross. I want you to remember my body that is broken for you. So he breaks the bread and he hands it out. I want you to think about the sacrifice, Jesus said, that I am offering for you to pay the penalty for your sins so that you might be reconciled to God. That's what we are remembering as we, we see the bread. He gives it new meaning, an old meal with new meaning. And then he takes the cup. And with the cup, he, he holds it up and he says, this cup that was once an offer of thanksgiving to God for the old covenant relationship, the old act of the exodus out of Egypt from the past. And Jesus said, from now on, no longer will this remind you of that exodus out of Egypt, but from now on, this cup will remind you of a new covenant, a new covenant in my blood. Jesus' death on the cross and the shedding of his blood would establish a brand new way for people, you and I, to be reconciled to God, not through the old covenant way, but through a new covenant way, through faith in Jesus Christ. So regardless of our nationality, we might have an opportunity to have access to God through Christ. Jesus said, when you celebrate this meal, when you gather together, may you take bread and cup and have them remind you of what I have done in establishing a relationship with God. Now, this meal is symbolic. So how might we make sense of what it is symbolizing? Well, the first thing I would want us to see is this. We are to eat and drink the bread and cup in remembrance of him. This is clear in the Luke passage. We saw it referenced there. But it's also clear in Paul's recounting of what happened on that night in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So above all else, when we gather and, and drink from the cup and eat of the bread, we are to do so remembering what Christ has done, his death on the cross and the new covenant relationship that we have with God through him. It is not to be just a mindless religious ritual. It is to be a rich time of remembering Christ and what he has done. Second thing, this is a, a meal, a symbolic meal that looks both backwards and forwards. See, the Exodus meal looked only backwards to God's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. But the, the communion meal, the, the new symbol that Jesus gave, had both a, a backwards and a forwards viewpoint. It looked backwards to Jesus' death on the cross that established our relationship with God, but it also looked forward to when Jesus would return to the earth. Remember he said, I will not eat this meal with you again until I come in my kingdom. He was looking towards the end. In a similar way, Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In this era in which we live between the first coming of Christ and his second, we have a very special symbolic meal that reminds us of what Christ has done and what he's getting ready to do. Third thing, we're to celebrate this meal as often as we do. Some of you might be wondering, how often should we celebrate communion? It's a legitimate question for us to have. But when we think about communion, the first thing I want to point out is communion was a, a new symbol 
that was, that was taken out of the Passover meal. Now, how often did the Jewish people celebrate Passover? Once a year. So, from that example and from that history and from that context, should we understand that the communion meal is only something that we should celebrate once a year? Well, I don't think so. Though the New Testament doesn't provide any specific prescription for how often we should celebrate it. I think that we see the first Christians practicing communion more often than annually because as they gathered together, whenever they had opportunity, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper together in remembrance of what Christ had done. We see this also in Luke chapter 2 when the disciples are gathering the very first church in Jerusalem and they're celebrating communion as they gather. And so we see a more frequent celebration of the Lord's Supper than annually, though the specific number is not spoken. Many churches, many Christian traditions will celebrate communion on a weekly basis. That while would we celebrate it about once a month? But as we do so, we do so in remembrance of him, always taking the opportunity to look back on what Christ has done with a hopeful heart about what he is getting ready to do. Next question, what about the elements themselves? Are they symbolic only or is there something supernatural that is happening with them? You know, some traditions, some other believers in Christ would would look at uh, these elements of communion and think that they are not representations of the body and blood of Christ, not things that remind us of the body and blood of Christ, but that they are actually becoming the body and blood of Christ. But when we think of what happened with the institution of communion, it's helpful for us to remember that when the Jewish people celebrated the Passover, the elements on the table were merely symbolic of the memories of what God had done. So that when they had the the water mixed with salt, it was reminding them of the tears shed in Egypt. They weren't the actual tears shed in Egypt. And when they ate the bitter herbs, it was reminding them of the difficult life that they had. It wasn't the difficult life they had. And when they ate the lamb, it was a a fresh lamb. It was a, a new lamb. It wasn't the lamb that was marked on the doorposts of their house years ago. And so the the Passover meal was a symbolic meal. And in the same way, when we gather today, what Jesus says is that we are to do this in remembrance of him. These elements of bread and wine, bread and juice, are symbols of the body and the blood of Christ. The most important thing is to see the symbolic representation of what God has done for us in Jesus. Next question we have, are these elements necessary for salvation? In other words, do we have to eat and drink of communion in order to be saved or in order to continue to be saved? And the answer to that, friends, is no. If you were with us last week, we looked at Romans chapter 2 and Romans chapter 4 in connection with baptism. And what we saw was that it wasn't participating in the religious ritual of circumcision that saved Abraham in the Old Testament. It was his faith in Christ. And we, like children of Abraham, are called to be saved on the basis of what God has done for us in Christ and us receiving that gift by faith. 
So baptism becomes a celebration, not the creation, but a celebration of, of entering into new life in Christ and trusting in him for the first time. And the Lord's Supper becomes a celebration, not the creation of a perseverance of following Christ and living in relationship with him. So it's an ongoing symbol, an ongoing fellowship meal that reminds us of our continued connection with Jesus, but it does not create it. The next thing we would think about, who is communion for? Well, communion is for believers in Jesus Christ. That's who it's for. And we see this in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, when it says, And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table, and the apostles were with him. It was the apostles that this meal was for. Those were the ones who had embraced him, who were trusting in him, who were believing in him. And this sets the pattern for us. So when we come to to celebrate the Lord's table here at Wildwood, we invite all who have placed their faith and trust in Christ to come and to celebrate the Lord's table with us because we see that as the primary qualifier. And so when we look at the symbolic meal, you see a number of things that are listed here that help us make sense of it. So how do we respond? Well, I want to mention three things. The first thing is to trust in Christ, to trust in Christ. You know, we're not primarily calling people to participate in religious rituals so that somehow some, some magic sauce might come upon us as we celebrate through these physical things. No, instead, what are we doing? We're inviting us to, from the heart, trust in Christ for our hope for all time. And when we gather around this table and we take these elements, we are not creating salvation, but we are celebrating it. So the first thing for all of us to do and consider is, have we trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sins? And if we have, whether that is something long ago or something that begins this morning for you, When you come forward for communion, you have an opportunity to celebrate the intimacy you have with God in Christ. Second thing, eat and drink to remember what he's done. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus set up these symbols that stimulate so many of our senses? You know, we see it, we smell it, we taste it, we can touch it. It reminds us that Jesus really came for us to engage us and to save us. And so when we gather and we take these elements, allow their, their, the sensory experience of communion to remind you of what Jesus has done. And the third thing I would say is remember our fellowship with him. Fellowship with him now, table fellowship. He listens to our prayers. He has received us into heaven, but also the experience that we will have later on when he returns to this earth and we will reign with him forever and ever and ever. Friends, when we think about communion, it's a wonderful reminder of the fellowship that we have with God. And all of this reminds us that in communion, we remember Christ. But there's a second thing that I think is important for us to see. And that is in communion, we not only remember Christ, but we also remember Christ's body. Not only is there this vertical component to communion, but there is also a horizontal one. There, there also is a chance for us as we celebrate communion together to experience oneness and unity as a part of the body of Christ and an expression of that in a local church. Now, where do we see that? Well, 
First of all, I want to go back to Luke 22. In Luke 22, it, Jesus first instructs Peter and John to get the Passover meal ready. And he, he sends them out saying, go prepare the Passover for us, for my followers, that we may eat of it together. And that we included not just Peter with Jesus, but Peter, John, James, and the rest with Jesus. So there's a component of our celebration of the Lord's table that is not just us and Christ, but is also us and the rest of the body of Christ around us, meeting and fellowshipping with him. We saw this again in Luke twenty-two fourteen. 14. I referenced this earlier. The apostles were with them, apostles plural. So there's a component of this meal that is corporate in experience. Now, when we think about this, we need to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he communicates to them something about the celebration of the Lord's Supper and he's challenging them in different ways. And one of the things he says to them is this, he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body for we all partake of the one bread. What Paul was reminding the Corinthians of, and what I want to remind us of from this verse today, is that when we celebrate communion, we are gathering together around the same table. We are eating and drinking the same elements. And in that is a picture and a reminder that we have been united in Christ. We are connected to him. This is also part of the reason why we celebrate communion as a church family. You know, last Sunday when we talked about baptism, one of the things that I mentioned was baptism is a symbol of the new covenant. And the new covenant is celebrated not about our first birth of our birth family, but of the second birth or being born again in Christ. It's after coming to faith in Christ. That's the difference between the Old Covenant, which was organized around birth families. That's why there's all these genealogies in the Old Testament. And the New Covenant, which is organized around coming to faith in Christ. Now, communion is also similar. Passover meal was celebrated in the home. It was your, your first family, your birth family. That is who was, would celebrate the Passover meal together. But in the New Testament, we see the celebration of the Lord's Supper not happening in our nuclear families, but in our church family. Why? It's a reminder again of our connections inside of the body of Christ. There's a horizontal component to this. Because of that, Paul was really upset with the Corinthians. And we don't have time to get into all of this, but, but know that Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and he really uh, gets on to them. He says, I don't commend you, Corinthians, because I hear of all these divisions in your church, and the divisions they had in their church were even showing up in the way that they celebrated communion. You know, one of the ways they would celebrate communion is it was kind of a BYOB event. Bring your own bread. And they would bring their own food. And so those who were wealthy in the church would show up with lots of bread and they would show up with lots of wine. So much so that they would eat until they were stuffed and they would drink until they were tipsy. Meanwhile, there were others who would come to that meal who did not have access to the bread and the wine and they would be excluded and left out. And what Paul says, he says, 
Who are you really remembering and celebrating here? This isn't an opportunity for you to to get full. This is the Lord's Supper, and it's a symbol and a reminder of your connection together as the body of Christ. So as you gather, Paul says, don't despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing, but demonstrate your unity even as you gather around this table. A little later on in that same chapter, Paul would say this. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So we are to examine ourselves before we partake. What did he mean when he said, don't eat of it in an unworthy manner? Well, in context, I think it at least means two things. The first thing he says is, may we eat this meal without division. Don't use the Lord's Supper as a way to show your superiority over another. But this is a table for all in Christ to gather around and remember the unity that we have in him. So Paul says, knock off the the division that you are demonstrating by the way that you're celebrating this meal. Then he also says, do this with faith in Jesus. It is in remembrance of him that we are gathering. So make sure doing this in an unworthy manner would be doing it mindlessly doing it without faith in Christ, without acknowledging Christ. Instead, that we would celebrate the Lord's Supper with faith in him. So with all these things in mind, how do we respond to this message? Well, four things I would say. The first thing I would say is look around as you gather. Look around as you gather. One of the things I love about celebrating communion, and I'm in a particularly great spot to do this, is I get to stand here and watch our entire church come forward. What a beautiful, wonderful reminder and experience. And I have the the joy of getting to do this in all three services, so I get to see pretty much everybody who's here on Communion Sundays coming forward. It is a joy. It reminds me that I don't just, it's not just a me and Jesus life I've got, but I'm saved into a body. Praise God. We're a part of a church family. We remember that. We celebrate that in Communion. Second thing, as we see each other, as, as you sit in your row, you watch people come forward for communion a little later on, may, as they pass by you, may that be a prompt for you to not just see them, but to pray for them. You see someone that's experiencing difficulty and challenge, take that as a prompt in a moment to be able to lift them up before the Lord. So again, it's an expression of our unity. It honors Jesus in the midst of our celebration of the Lord's table. Third thing I would say is that we eat with the body. It's not a to-go meal. Now, this is why when we come forward, we'll have everyone come forward. You'll grab a packet that has both juice and bread inside. You'll return to your seats, but we'll hang on to it until everyone is served, and then we'll eat together. You know, in our society today, we're so used to eating on the go. Many of our meals come in a bag. Our cars are like dining tables at times. And so because of that, we might think, well, you know what? I just need to grab this and go. I've got, I've got places to go and people to see today. I'm just get a little communion to go. You know what? Communion's not intended to be a meal eaten on the go. It's intended to be a reminder of your connection with the body of Christ. And so we'll eat together. And we'll eat in remembrance of him. And last thing I would say is that communion prompts peace. Because we eat this together, we see others that we may have a point of contention with, we may have a conflict with, 
But as we see them come forward for communion, we're reminded that we have Jesus in common, and that's a lot. May it be a prompt for us to, to, to work together to reconcile our differences and to honor the Lord in our unity. See, friends, we are remembering not only Christ in communion, but we're remembering his body, vertical and horizontal. This is why we celebrate communion. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to gather today and to lift up your name. We thank you for uh, these great verses and your preservation of these historic events so that we know what we are remembering. It's not just an empty religious ceremony, but we are, are joining with believers from the last couple of thousand years remembering what you have done for us in Christ. Lord, I, I thank you that we can do so together today as a church family. And I, I pray that you would center our hearts, that this would not be an unexamined moment, but Lord, that we would be trusting in you and we would be remembering you and all that you have done for us vertically and horizontally as we celebrate and eat this meal together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.